0: There was a famous archbishop who once said, what we daydream about is probably the most accurate gauge to what we believe and what what we believe will make us happy in this life. What are your daydreams full of? Uh, Could it be power? Could it be money? Could it be a relationship? Could it be beauty? What do you dwell on? What's the thing that you long for? Believing that if only you were to get that thing, just, just even for a while, that would be good, wouldn't it? And, and that would help you. Happiness would come, to a degree, as a result. And perhaps it's not quite as stark as that in our hearts and minds. But I'm sure there would be a glimmer of truth to that. Because we all want, don't we, to be happy. Nothing wrong with that. We want to be content. But sometimes that can seem so elusive, can't it? Uh, And unobtainable. Either that or we're looking for it just in the wrong places. There are innumerable places we all know that we can turn to. And they're probably bespoke to every single one of us where we can go and find those kind of cheap, fleeting moments of excitement and joy. But we all know, I think... I think we're all a bit grown up now that we can just, suss it. we've sussed it out, haven't we? Fun for a moment, deeply dissatisfying. Deep within we all long for that deep-rooted joy and happiness that keeps us, that sustains us, that lifts us up, that gets us through. And that is why we're going to spend just a few weeks now in these early songs of the book of Psalms. Uh, in a sense, we're going to go back to rehearsal time, aren't we? Uh, this is the greatest songbook, and we're going to open up and we're going to sing them out loud, I hope. In our hearts, going kind to of, you know, as we go, metaphorically. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? How does the songbook begin? Uh, it says, blessed is the one. Literally, happy there is the one. Joyful is the one. Uh, I don't know if you know, but a quick kind of help as we sort of structure the book of Psalms is divided into five collections, five books. The first book is uh, collections of Psalm 1 to 41. It begins today and ends with the same words, interestingly. Blessed is the one. Happy is the one. Uh, Which is what we want. We want to know how to be blessed in this life, to be happy before God. God. It's interesting, actually, that most scholars believe that Psalm 1 and 2 act kind of a, as a bookmark, a sort of bookend, sorry, to the whole of the collection. They're the starting point, together. And uh, Psalm 150 is, uh, is the other kind of the bookend, the other end. But Psalm 1 tells us what? To delight in the Word of God. We'll come to that in a moment. Psalm 2 tells us to take refuge in the sun, as we'll see uh, next week. Delight and take refuge. Delight and take refuge. You see, the first collection ends, you get to chapter 41, showing us that if we do that, if we listen, if we sing the songs of Psalm 1 and 2, if we delight, if we take refuge in Christ for us in the new covenant, Psalm 41, we will be delivered. Delight and take refuge. We will be delivered. And that is what it is to be blessed. Let me read again. Can I get verse uh, 1 to, just 1 and 2 to begin with. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners. or, Or takes the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. First point, it's on your sheets, so I hope it's helpful. Those who delight in the law of the Lord will prosper. It's a good thing. Three things come. If you notice the, sort of the way that the psalm develops. Three things. Blessing comes to those, firstly, verse 1, who do not walk in step with the wicked. Secondly, blessing, happiness comes to those who delight in the law of the Lord. That is the Bible, what's right in front of you, in your hands. Thirdly, blessing comes to those who in verse 3 keep going, they're stable, they're, they're fruitful like a tree. But you see our blessing begins, because this is where I think in our culture we get this wrong so many times. Blessing comes, it begins with what? Rejection. It begins with rejection, rejecting the way of the world. Or the way of the wicked here. It's a simple choice that we make every single day if we're Christians here, don't we? It's the way of the word or the way of the world. There's no fence, isn't there, that we love to try and sit on. You can't add one to the other. You're either living God's way, following his word, sharing and living out your faith, or you're rejecting God. And you go the way of the world. Now, we know this, don't we? we? We feel this in London every day. Rejecting the way of the wicked is not easy. We live in a society that, in seeking to justify its own godlessness all the time, uh, it, it, it pushes onto us, doesn't it, its way. The ideologies of kind of materialism, of hedonism, and all those isms that we haven't got time to delve into right now, you know, have their birth in the mind of the world of the wicked in this world. That is those who do not believe and trust in God. The mind, of course, justifies the actions of society and we are submerged into that culture day by day by day. And the big question that many of us will face is whether we can actually discern between those the ideologies of the world and wisdom to live by the word. Blessing begins by rejecting the thinking of the world out there. We need wisdom. But blessing continues to be found by not standing in the way of sinners. The move you see there, do you see It's very subtle. It's a shift from the mind to the life controlled by the mind. It's the lifestyle that so many people you work with lead to varying degrees. And at its extreme... It serves only self, worked out in the pursuit of physical pleasure and material goods and housing developments and career prospects. Not that any of those things, just hear me right, not that any of those things are inherently bad. But for the sole glory of self, to the detriment of others and God, that is where so many people go wrong. Blessing, God says in Psalm 1, comes from not standing in that self-glorifying way. Hey, look at me. Look at what I can get. But then look where it goes to. Third development in these just very quick opening verses. Also not sitting in the seat of mockers. And I guess if you're a Christian here today, you know what it looks like. If you've ever tried to invite people... If you try to invite someone to an event like this, even though we tried very, very hard to make it as you know accessible as, as kind of you know as, as an easy invite as possible, you will you will get some mockery, no doubt. It's that worldly cynicism that people feel confident now to just mock Christians in any way they choose. Christians are easy pickings. That's true in this country, but it's certainly true around the world, isn't it? the most persecuted people group in the world at this present time. But public policy, morality, the arts, literature, there are so many examples now where Christian standards and beliefs are either being undermined or they're just being ridiculed. I just saw uh, this morning uh, in the news, a friend of mine who I trained with um, has really sadly had to resign just this uh, last few days because he was mocked in a Christian school, which he was the head governor of, uh, for standing up for orthodox Christian beliefs with regard to sexuality. Blessing begins by saying no to this type of thinking, this lifestyle, and this kind of cynicism. I guess you've noticed the progressive hardening of the heart. Do you see that from verse 1? From walking to standing, to sitting in opposition to God. See, blessing begins by firstly recognising, rejecting and then repenting from that kind of godlessness, that rejecting of God. That's where blessing begins. And look where it leads to in verse two. There we see a different way. It's the way of the righteous. It's the one who who says, no, God, I, I, I want to do things your way. And it's full of joy, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That's the blessed way. His delight is in the instruction of the Lord. And the word here for law uh, is a general word meaning the instruction from God in the whole of his word, all the Bible. That's very easy, isn't it, to delight in the instruction of someone that you love. You know, someone they really care for, you know, says, oh, would you mind doing this for me? Yeah, of course, I really liked it. Yeah, no problem at all. But someone that irritates you, or that you don't respect at work, it's very difficult, isn't it, to listen to their words and their instructions. I have a biography of a 19th century Cornish miner called Billy Bray. Um, I heard about him once on holiday, we, uh, down in Cornwall quite a bit um, over the years. And he was a hardened tin miner and uh, he drank and drank and drank every time he came out of the mines he was a brutal man and then he heard the gospel and as a result he was utterly transformed and became probably what we would consider now probably the most plain speaking powerhouses for Jesus he just told it like he was He, he you know he took out he was reformed in so many ways but he was still a tin mining man Utterly plain speaking and was used by God uh, in such amazing ways. I remember reading that biography of Bray and I could hardly put it down. With every page, in a sense, my respect for this man grew. Why? Because I, I was excited. I was delighted to hear the words on the pages of this book as I heard a man who just dared to speak all the time, boldly, brazenly, of Christ. I respected his words. I listened Well, likewise, if you're one of God's people, then you will want to know more about him because you love him and because you respect him. You'll want to know what he says, which is why God's people delight in his word, the law of the Lord here in verse two. But it's not just about reading, is it? It's not just reading about the Lord, you know, about uh, Yahweh there in the capital. So, uh, you know, our faithful redeemer, that basically means... It says more, it says to meditate on God's word. Let's be clear Christian meditation is not like Eastern meditation that you might be encouraged to if you you go to a yoga class or something else. This is not an emptying of your mind. Christian meditation is the complete opposite, it's about filling your mind. With the Word of God, and Ephesians five tells us that we, as we do so, and Colossians three, that uh, the Spirit of God works, and the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, and rules over us. Oh, well, what does that look like practically? We get our heads down, we get our cerebral study minds on in our home groups, and we begin to say, oh, "I have mastered. I've absolutely mastered Hebrews. Yes." I'm there. We discuss it. We play that kind of like home group tennis. Oh, I understand that passage. Do you understand it as well as me, Stu? No. Aha, superior, and so on. The thrill is not the debate or the cerebral gain of knowledge. The thrill is the joy-filled experience in submitting ourselves to the word of God. And letting God's spirit do his work as he has promised to do in and through that word. It is the fundamental work of God's spirit and why he's been given. And I wonder, therefore, do we talk about the word of God enough with each other? Uh, uh, not in a, ooh, look at me, I know more than you, but in an encouraging way, in a self-deprecating way that says, I-, I want to impress what I know so that you might be built up. As God's people gather in the New Testament, the word that is used more often than ever, than anywhere else, any other word about the purpose of God's people gathering, it is edification. It is to build one another up. We need to do that in God's word. And allow God's Spirit to work in and through that. I do wonder sometimes if our lack of conversation about the Word of God is actually a sobering indication of where we are and maybe a lack of blessing too. I went to Romania a number of times as I was a student, when I was a student, sorry, during my gap year before university and during my student years. I was, I was, I was just so vividly shocked. Um, and it had to be explained to me again and again and again. about if you were an elder within the church in Romania, you were sent out of the country for a while. And the purpose of that was because you know, to have a Bible was so dangerous in the years before the Iron Curtain came down that you had to go out and you had to learn a book of the Bible. And then you came back a month later having just... Learned the whole book of the bible and then when a reading came up it's ephesians ephesians this week elder elder you okay you would stand up and you would uh, and ephesians 2 you would read it you would speak it out it was utterly extraordinary and I, I, I would sit there and say ah so a man is just speaking the word of god because he knows it that well but the extraordinary thing that they, they they all saw it as the greatest privilege. They were so excited to have received the word of God. Friends, if you love me, if you love each other, if you want each other to be blessed, talk about what you are reading in God's Word. Talk about how God, by His Spirit, has transformed your life. Ask those around you, your brothers and sisters, Has the word of God been transforming you? Edify, build one another up, allow God's spirit to do his work in that way. Don't be British, be Christians who delight in God's word and encourage brothers and sisters to delight in God's word. A friend of mine. uh, wrote a book recently and uh, he sent me a link. I said, look, when you've written the book, you know, can you send me a link? And I'd like to buy it. That would be really good, wouldn't it? And uh, he sent me a link on Amazon. It was about 13 trillionths in the kind of the, the lists. It was that popular. Um, and uh, it was 160 something pounds to buy. And I said, I'm really sorry. He was joking. He said, you don't have to buy it. No one's going to buy it at all, apart from a few weird, geeky libraries around the world. It was a boring PhD kind of thesis. And I responded, I said, I can't afford it. And secondly, I said, I'm really sorry, because I scanned through it. You know, you can scan through it on Amazon. I said, there's really there's no pictures. What's wrong with that? You yeah, know, come on, no pictures at all. Pictures are really helpful, aren't they? It's interesting, isn't it? How God uses pictures again and again to illustrate his points. That's what he does here, doesn't he? Look what we get in verse 3. You want to apply things into your life? You get a picture from God. That person, that blessed person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. (laughs) A tree's a beautiful, enduring image, isn't it, of someone who's strong and stable, not blown around by the winds of false teaching, not blown away through times of um, strife and suffering. Do you see the person who meditates, who who gets the word of God deep down inside themselves? They're stable and strong. Nothing rocks them. One of my favourite books ever, um, I'm so delighted, he's just written the second one, and I bought it for Barnaby. It's one of... Bunby, of my favorite books, it's called War and Grace. It's by a history teacher called Don Stevens, he's a Christian man. And he tells the story of 12 people in War and Grace, both world wars, allies and enemies as well, all of whom were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the stories he tells is of a man called Ernst Gordon. Ernst Gordon was imprisoned in, 19- in 1942 in Thailand. Uh, worked to, uh, and was forced to work in one of the Japanese prisoner of war camps. We now know it very famously from that terribly long film called uh, Bridge Over the River Choir, if you've ever, if you've ever watched that. Uh, that film, because it's a Hollywood film and all the actors are there and they're looking great, that doesn't portray just the awful conditions of a prisoner of war camp in, in Japan and in Thailand. The Japanese were sadistic murderers. The conditions of the Allied prisoners was utterly brutal. And hear me right here, because history shows us, that pyres of men continually burned as they died from dysentery or of random violence of the Japanese soldiers. Many just starved to death because the Japanese thought that quite amusing and neglected the men in such ways. Ernst Gordon was a man who was left to die in the corner of a camp But then three Christians saw him in his desperate state and gave them some of their rations and they nursed him back to health. One of the men who helped Ernst Gordon died of starvation himself, having given him his rations. Then one day an Australian man in the camp was sentenced to death and all the prisoners were brought round, as they were in many of these camps, to watch the execution. And I quote, this is Ernst Gordon. The Australian calmly knelt down, drew a ragged New Testament from his shorts and read it. He then put the book away, smiled and called out, cheer up, it isn't as bad as all that, I'll be all right. He knelt, bent his head forward and a samurai sword flashed in the sunlight as he was killed. There's a tree There is a tree, stable and strong, right up to the point of death. And Ernst Gordon saw the deep-rootedness in the word of God of that man and gave his life to Christ as a result. Notice in verse 3, though, the tree is planted by streams of water. That is the inexhaustible supply of nourishment for life. Same with the word of God. I hope you realise what you've got in front of you. I guess with so many of us, we just kind of scratch the surface. But there's so much for us to learn and appreciate. The Word of God gives us everything we need for life. Whatever is thrown our way, if we dare to scratch beyond and below, deep in. The streams or rivers that bring life are a theme that runs throughout the Bible. Whether it's the rivers that frame Eden... And if you know, that comes in the convergence of two rivers there that bring new life. The streams that bring stability here in Psalm 1 or to the stream of living water in John 4, for example. Or the water of life in Revelation 22. Everything points when you get to streams in the Bible. All of those things show you, oh, this is eternal provision from God. That we know, of course, in Christ. And interestingly, here at the tree in Psalm 1 uses the same word as that of the cross on which Jesus was nailed. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, 1 Peter tells us. So you see, as the cross sustains us eternally, so does the word of God sustain us forevermore. When you dig into the Bible, you're taking water from the refreshing heavenly stream. The word of God that will sustain you forever. That is where God has planted you. You're not there of your own doing or by accident. You have the word of God and that is what you need from now until you meet God face to face in eternity. This is what you need. It's there right in front of you. You're able to hold it. You're able to read it without fear of your life. Does a tree drink once a year and survive? Does a tree drink once a month and bear fruit? You know, imagine an SAS soldier, if you may, drinking uh, in the desert situations. They've got a little bottle there full of water. They've, in their last, you know, kind of recon, they've, they've managed to fill it up and there they are. And they have this, you know, they're in 45 degree heat in the Sahara Desert and they drink one sip and they leave the rest in their their water bottle. No, they take sip after sip after sip after sip and they never stop drinking. And when they can, when they reach a water source, they then gulp down as much as they possibly can. They rehydrate, they refill their bottle. It's the most precious thing to them coming to church and reading God's word once a week doesn't suffice we need to drink as often as we can and what happens if we do we grow more strong more stable more able to bear what is is thrown at us in life oh look at the lovely phrase that's used yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither Oh, speaking there of a spiritual growth, isn't it? But you can imagine if we grow spiritually, then likewise we, like, we will be proclaiming the gospel more. And probably numerically we might do as well. If we don't read God's word, what will happen? Well, the tree picture is very helpful, isn't it? We will wither. We will wither. Can you imagine someone, if they said that of your career, it is withering. How would you receive that? Or maybe of your ability in some, you know, you used to play sport. and Your ability in that is withering. What about your physique? Mine is seriously withering this week. (laughs) It's like, you know, but it's, it's pejorative, isn't it? It's negative. If we reject the way of the world and delight in God's word, meditate on it day and night, we will stand firm. We will not wither whatever life throws at us. In summary, it's a lovely phrase, isn't it? And it's so poorly used sometimes, certainly with these kind of tele-evangelists. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers. This isn't talking about temporary wealth now, but rather knowing the riches of God's word forever, which of course is so much better. But I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe the words of psalmist in Psalm 19, for example? The law of the Lord is perfect, most precious than gold, m- the much pure gold, the sweeter than honey, than honey from the, coo- from the, the honeycomb. Yeah. Do we actually believe that when we pick up God's word? If I were to give you a nugget of gold, I don't know how much that's worth. John's mom's not here, so we can't really ask him. But, you know, how much is that a nugget of gold worth? I say that or a Bible. Which one do you want? I wonder which you go for Well, by contrast and to conclude, much, much more briefly, those who are wicked will perish. They're fairly sobering words, so let's look at them carefully. Verse four. Not so the wicked they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It's very stark, isn't it? And I can't make this any more palatable, but those who refuse to delight in the law of the the Lord will perish. They are worthless chaff now. As we see in verse 4 and in verse 5, they have a hopeless future. Chaff, of course. I mean, I'm nothing, I knew nothing about farming whatsoever. So excuse me for this, but you know, you know chaff is the bit. As you throw up the grain into the air, uh, that's the light bits, of, the bit that you can disregard. Um, and it was separated as the wind blew it. The, the heavier grain fell to the ground, and it was the waste product of the harvest. It was blown away. It was trampled upon. But note the contrast between the tree that is stable, yielding, eternal. And chaff, which is light, blown around, and temporal. And it's tree or chaff. It's tree or chaff. It can't get any clearer. And it's you and me, and it's everyone we know. It's everyone in this world. Tree or chaff. Listen to the words of John the Baptist in Luke 3, reminding people of Christ's return. Look at the imagery used, the similar imagery. Luke 3, verse 17. His winnowing fork, speaking of Christ, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. how frightening that is because we know so much chaff therefore verse 5 the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous that is they will not be allowed into the glorious presence of God or oh, they will know his presence but only in his judgment only knowing his wrath They will not be amongst the rejoicing assembly of the righteous. uh, God's people enjoying his eternal banquet and his glorious loving presence. How stark again can you possibly be? What a hopeless future. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to envy those around us, isn't it? The Cheap thrills, they enjoy the quick fixes in life possessions they own, whatever it may be, rather than going the way of the word. Can I encourage you to begin with very compassionate eyes, as Jesus calls us to have, is to see those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord, see them as chaff. See them as chaff who will be burnt in an unquenchable fire. In verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Oh, of course, we've got to ask ourselves as we read this and apply it to our own hearts and lives, which way do we want to be and go? I guess if you're like me, you've got good intentions, you long to read God's word, but I guess, again, if you're anything like me, weak and frail and, and you've failed and you've been lazy and you've been more chaffed than true, perhaps, when it comes to... The disciplines of reading God's word, or well, why not today, delight in God's word. Trust that the blessed life, the happy life, is found there. Of course, we do so in response to all that God has done in and through the gift of His Son, because He saved us for this life. He saved us through faith in His death and His on the cross and for our sin in our place. We live this in response. We delight in response. We feed on his word in response to all that he has done. Living for God in response to all that he has done, though, is not easy. But we have the spirit of God in our hearts. We have the word of God in our hands. We know that we need to reject the thinking of the world and the way of the world. How? Let's not be passive about this. You will never, ever win that battle in your heart and mind through passive sit back. Oh, I don't want to do that. You'll always end up doing that. You need to take out the sword of the spirit. And you need to fight. And delight in God's word. Feed on it. And produce fruit. Fruit for God's kingdom. And it will be so hard at times, it will seem like a war, but it will be a joy and a delight if you wage war against your laziness and your sin. When are you going to read the Bible this week? When are you going to put down roots into this living stream? Can you do first thing in the morning, set the alarm of 20 minutes earlier or 30 minutes earlier? Probably the more important question there is, are you going to set the alarm? Are you going to, sorry, are you going to go to bed 20 minutes, 30 minutes earlier? Oh, it doesn't have to be then. I know for some people, maybe it doesn't work for you at those particular times. Perhaps on the train, if you press snooze a few too many times that morning, get something done. Imagine, go back to that picture of the SAS soldier for a moment. If you saw even the tiniest stream, any, any source of water... Do you think you'd on oh no, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to leave that, thank you. And walk on. Any droplets you can get. If you've pressed snooze five times that morning because you're feeling rough and you get into on the tube and you just open up your phone. Just get anything, any droplets you can. And pray in response. Get a routine. Routine is not legalism, it's discipline. And I'd love to see you go through any, any area of your life without discipline. You try and progress in work, in sport, in anything without discipline. Sometimes we use it as a kind of a negative word, it's not the most positive you can ever have. It's not legalism, it's discipline. Get a good routine. Could be the first thing you do when you get home while you cook your dinner. Yes, it might mean giving up something. EastEnders. Oh, whatever. It's worth it. Can you imagine trying to get through a day without water? No. Well, don't be so stupid about the living water of God's word. Tree or chaff, which way are we going to go? Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these songs. We thank you that they are wisdom that we need for today, for tomorrow, for life. That prepare us for the life to come. Lord, we long for those days when we see you face to face. You are our covenant, Lord. Our merciful, kind Lord. Please may we know blessing as we live delighting in your word meditating on it day and night. May we be like that tree, strong and stable, prospering for your kingdom's glory. Amen.